Hey, Forge family. Last Sunday we were together to work through an introduction to the Epistle of James. After I finished presenting James as author of this text, there were some great questions that ricocheted around the room, great comments that were very helpful from you all. Thank you. Now, as you recall, James, the author here, is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing this general epistle to Jewish believers who were scattered around the Roman Empire, primarily the eastern portion of the Roman Empire. Um, the early church was in the season of, of expressing itself by Jewish followers of Jesus meeting in synagogues with paren, still closed paren, unbelieving Jews. And that set up suffering amongst believers. Because when one converted to follow Jesus as Messiah, the local synagogue cut off all employment assistance, all food and clothing assistance, etc. So James's audience were those whose faith was being challenged by hard times. James sets out to write a pastoral letter. But James may have had a redemptive gift of profit. He sees black and white, right and wrong, and goes after the obvious needs. And family, I want to suggest here that with 54 imperatives in the book of James, you know, those, are, those are commands in the book of James, it might seem that James takes a hard line. Let me suggest that, yes, he does say direct corrective things when there's sin and oppression. But I want you to picture James as an older brother in the Lord. One who comes to drape his arm around your shoulders gently and speak in your ear. Here's a way to go. Here's a corrected path that's laid out. Here's a quiet word for you. He does not shout down struggling believers. James is there like a wise older brother or a father in the faith that would have you succeed, grow to maturity, become steadfast in your faith. And I want you all to listen to Holy Spirit in your heart as you receive familiar but unapplied truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for introducing us to Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one alongside us as we walk by faith. We want to be filled full of the mind of Christ and the presence of Holy Spirit now. James says the trials will fall on us all. We need you, Lord. Amen. Let's read James chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. James, a bondslave, a bondservant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, 
who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to you. But let him ask in faith, not without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right. The last word family in verse 1 of James chapter 1 is, you know, James says greetings, but it ought to be translated, be constantly rejoicing. So James just, he pulls the trigger right away. Bam. Be constantly rejoicing. James sends this opening shot across our conscience and our experience. How many of us are constantly rejoicing? Hmm. I confess to too much Mr. Grumpy Pants and not enough joy. So, James is speaking and writing and Holy Spirit, come help this flow. You feel the arm of James on your shoulder and the words of the Spirit in your ear. Okay, verse 2 says, make a deliberate, careful choice. Choose unmixed joy as your first priority. Because when you fall into a pit, into trials, or as Jesus said, a certain man went down to Jericho and he fell amongst thieves. So, point number one, we need to remember something here. Following Jesus does not shelter you from trials, problems, hurts, or even a sense of being abandoned. James says, choose now. Choose now how you will walk by faith. I remember in the late 1980s, there was a Presbyterian pastor and author, Lloyd John Ogilvie. I read some of his stuff. It was articulate and insightful. Uh, man was an evangelist. It was great stuff. Okay, But he wrote of having an awful year that he had experienced. His wife had five surgeries plus chemo, chemo and radiation. Several staff members of his church just up and left. There were large congregational church problems that, that loomed over him while he was trying to care for his family. And discouragement uh, assaulted his feelings. Still in all, this is what he wrote. The greatest discovery that I have made in the midst of all the difficulties is that I can have joy when I can't feel like it. Artesian joy. When I had every reason to feel beaten, I felt joy. In spite of everything, God gave me the conviction of being loved and the certainty that nothing could separate me from Him. It was not happiness, gush, or jolliness, but a constant flow of the Spirit through me. At no time did it give me the easy confidence that everything would work out as I wanted it to on my timetable, but that he was in charge and would give me and my family enough courage for each day. Grace. Joy is always the result of that. 
Now, James says that the trials, like those of Pastor Ogilvy, will come. They're not going to be the same for you. But trials, nevertheless. So at verse 3, yeah, verse 3 starts with the word in Greek that amplifies plain old white bread knowledge. Okay? Just the, the simple stuff. Just knowing stuff. It, it is the word that's there. It, it means knowledge by experience. Knowing that testing of our faith is on the way. Okay, little birds test their wings. The queen of Sheba came up to Jerusalem to test the wisdom of Solomon. Yahweh tested Abraham's faith by asking him to sacrifice Isaac. And then when Isaac was laid on the altar, the Lord says, Nope, don't do that. And provided another sacrifice and said, Now I know I can trust you. Now I know you're my friend. Now I know you're my man. All these examples result in a past test. And the scripture speaks of this word pyradzin um, as testing or as temptation. But you have to deal with it in context. So here in this context, it really is testing. And it's testing so as to succeed. So as to be approved. So as to be affirmed. Now point number two, if you need to remember little bits here. Get ready to pass the testing that's going to come. Because that will lift you to the next level of faith. In verse 3, the word dokimios appears. And it is specifically related to the preparation and casting of gold and silver coins. But get to, the co- to get there to the coin, you have to begin at the mine, or at the mother load, or at the placer deposit. Here in California, we have a history of that. In 1848, John Sutter partnered with a man named James Marshall to build a grist mill, a grain mill, in Coloma, California. And he could find no skilled labor until 150 armed Mormons showed up and 100 of them decided they would settle in and spend the winter. So with hard labor and with skilled labor, they built the mill and then they dug out an eight mile long mill race. A channel, a, a canal, a flume for so fast moving water could rush downhill to power the mill's water wheels. But they discovered that the mill was still set too low. And more earth and rock had to be dug away for the flow of the water to hit the water wheels and power the mill. So a whole bunch of hired men jumped into the, this old riverbed and they shoveled and scooped out rocks and gravel. And James Marshall saw something. And he took his old black beat-up hat and he scooped up a bunch of gravel and washed it in the water, and the water flowed through his old hat, and he picked out the gravel and tossed out all the stuff. In the bottom of the hat, there were flecks of gold dust. There were gold nuggets, and there was pieces of quartz that had streaks of gold ore. Okay, So what do you do then? You have to have those samples assayed. You take it to an assayer. He takes your sample, he weighs it. Then he crushes it. Then he puts it in a crucible and he melts it and pours it out and it was confirmed. It was gold. 
so too, Ford's family, your trials, your testings, are to produce something of greater value. James says that testing of your faith will produce endurance, patience, steadfastness, staying power, biblical toughness. The notion in the Bible of faith is very close to endurance. Verse 4, there's a a mild imperative. It, It says, let endurance, let your staying power have its perfect result. It's complete result. So when you say perfect, he's really using the word complete or mature. And continues, he says, and it will lack in nothing. That last phrase pointed me to the definition of shalom, peace, Hebrew. Because part of that peace is lacking in nothing. So part of maturity is the peace of God. Verse 5 And this is one of those classical Greek conditional sentences. It says, if you lack wisdom, and the truth is, you do. If and you do lack wisdom. If and you will lack wisdom. Okay? Maturity up above lacks nothing, but maturity is a moving target, folks. You think you got it, but there's another level. You know, there's another, another new way to go, new responsibilities. We still lack wisdom. So no man, no woman possesses wisdom from above in and of themselves. And we're told, keep asking God for wisdom. Solomon, in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So, knowledge may be knowing what to do. Wisdom is knowing how to do it. When to do it. Where to do it. You know, it it softens the edge of knowledge. And it directs it. And it makes it perfect. Perfect wisdom. And we're told, ask for wisdom. Now, how do we ask? Trust me, you don't ask in anger. I've tried that. That doesn't work. The Lord's going to let you, you know, steam and simmer and until finally, you finally get to the point of saying, oh, Lord, I'm so done. Then he will hear you cry. Okay? You can't come at him and rage at him. Okay? So in faith, you come and ask. But he says, don't you doubt when you do it. You know, we're to ask in faith. God, God gives and God's keep on giving to all men generously and without reproach. That word reproach means no, no charge can be brought against you. There's no backbiting. There's, um, there's no sense of God saying to you, well, what did you do with the last time I helped you? Or, no, you don't really deserve this. Or, is it you again? The Lord never does that. Now, some of us grew up in households where maybe we were given money for tuition, or we were given a car, but with it came strings. You know, don't crash that car. You know, you better get straight A's. That kind of thing. That's, that's giving with a reproach. Giving with that edge. And the Lord never does that. You ask for wisdom. James, our brother, 
whispers in her ear, it's on its way. It will be given. Now, we get injured. We get sick. We get hurt in the heart. And, and sometimes our stuff is broken or stolen, and, and we stomp around, and we feel abandoned. And we go, God, where are you? How could this happen? And James is, is not saying that there's no place for grief or for shock, but then when you come to approach God, don't come angry. Don't come hurt. You know, don't come and kind of go, you abandoned. You know, you, know you, you, you come and willfully say, you willfully choose to say to him, you are my God. You never change. You never set out to kill, steal, and destroy. That's not who you are. And I love you for that, Lord. I trust you for that. Lord, please come and redeem this mess. Don't understand? But all that stuff that got lost and hurt, even this body, belongs to you. Come, Lord. I need wisdom. Verse 6, James. James says, ask in faith, even in your grief, even in your shock, without doubting. You know, another way to say that is without internal divisions. Okay? Because he turns right around. Now, James, James grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth is kind of the uplands, the high, the high, the high ridge, kind of runs up the middle of Israel a little bit. There's some elevation to Nazareth. 30 miles directly west is the Mediterranean. 30 miles to the east is the Sea of Galilee. Undoubtedly, James knew what waves looked like. He knew what the chaos of the sea was like. He knew, uh, you know, that sense of uh, being tossed by a wild, crazed sea. And he says, don't, don't live a chaotic life like that. That man, that woman, who chooses chaos, will not be answered. And verse 8 says, being a double-souled man or woman will produce an unsteady, unworthy, untrustworthy, restless, fickle. You'll stagger through life like a drunkard. You're unable to stay the course. You know, you, you're just twisted. You, you, go, you start one direction and you're yanked in the other. Dr. Paul Cox talks about dual streaming. Men and women who have a partial life of faith and light. And they also have a partial hidden life of carnality and darkness. Readily discernible. Now, verse 8 says, Such a man, such a woman is a walking civil war. Trust in Christ wars against distrust and doubt. Jesus said in Matthew 6 24, No man can serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. Don't do that. Now, James has draped his arm around your shoulders, family. And he says, by Holy Spirit, quietly, in your ear, in your heart, learn to deal with trials and suffering in the opposite spirit. Willfully choosing to not be embittered, but choosing to be joy-filled. 
you turn a couple, like two pages back from James chapter 1, you're in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The business of despising the shame says he, he made himself of no reputation. You couldn't shame him. So if you make that choice to come in the opposite spirit and you go for the joy, Holy Spirit will keep your focus in times of trials. And if Jesus could do that, Holy Spirit can do that for you. All right, Forge family, keep reading the epistle of James day by day and let the still, small voice of the Father begin to direct you away from being double-souled to being filled with joy and His presence. Let's pray. Father, your plan from the ages was to build a family of faith and action. We present ourselves as candidates for kingdom responsibilities and as vessels to be filled up with joy in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Forge family, I love you. We'll see you soon.